Good morning, Redeeming Grace. Like Matt said, my name is Kenneth Gray, and I am a um, church planning resident at Exodus Church in Belmont, North Carolina, which is right outside of Charlotte. Um, The church planning residency that I'm a part of is two and a half years long, and so my wife, Whitney, and I, we moved with our two kids from Mississippi to North Carolina about a year ago, and so we're just really grateful for what God's doing in us through that. And so, like Matt said, we have a daughter. Her name is Haddon. She's named after Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He's an old dead preacher, which she's going to love that when she's 13. And Silas is named after Silas in the Bible. And so I'm just so grateful to be here with you this morning. And I would just encourage you and kind of plead with you to pray for us and with us as we are praying and plotting um, for church planning. And so um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 22. We're going to look at the entire Psalm this morning, so you can go ahead and turn there. Throughout our lives, we all have different themes that seem to run throughout our story. And for me, one of those themes is car trouble. Even as at a very young age, my family, we always seem to have car trouble, whether it was a flat tire or, you know, one of the axles on the car just totally split in half sitting in traffic, true story, um, or spontaneous engine failure. Um, it's happened to me, whether it was, and then once I started driving, it continued to happen. So whether it was my fault, like I locked my keys in my car, or our engine blew up, which happened, um, we left Mississippi with two cars, and we got to North Carolina with one, but that's a story for a different day. Um, about 10 years ago, I was leaving college for the last time, and I want to kind of tell you about my day. Graduated that morning, went to a friend's wedding that afternoon and hung out with some of my closest friends till about 11 p.m. and then decided I was going to make a three and a half hour drive back to my parents' house, right? And so um, what's the worst that could happen? You know, you're 22, maybe not the smartest person on the planet at that point, but so I decided to make this three and a half hour drive. Now, a few important things. One, I had a very new, very used car. So what that means is it was new to me, but it was very old, okay? Uh, I'm hearing some amens. I love it. That, y'all are my people. And so uh, I'm driving this car. The other thing you need to know is I had about 2% battery on my phone, but that's fine. It'll be fine. Um, what's the worst that could happen? So I get about 30 miles out, right smack dab in the middle of nowhere, and the tread on my front right tire comes completely off. And it beats up everything in the wheel well, so I get out to make a call. My phone's dead. Surprise, surprise, by then. And I go out and I look, and there's this mysterious fluid leaking from out from under my car. And I've seen a few movies, so I know this is gasoline, and I'm going to explode at any moment. Um, it was windshield wiper fluid, but, you know, it's a whole other thing. But so I'm just convinced I'm going to blow up. So I'm there, no way to communicate with anybody, unsure of what to do, totally alone, confused, pretty sure I'm going to blow up. And I just prayed something very profound, like, God, why did you let this happen to me? Which, if you were listening, you're like, hey, buddy, like you, maybe, maybe that wasn't all God's fault on that one. Um, but it was like, God, why would you let that happen to me? I was alone. I felt like I was in a lot of danger. And I felt hopeless. I felt abandoned in a difficult situation. What do we do when we feel abandoned in a difficult situation? In Psalm 22 we see a lament. A lament or cries to God in the midst of a stressful and difficult situation. Saying, God, where are you? What are you doing? Please come through for me. In Psalm 22, we see David alone in danger and he feels abandoned by 
God. So as we look at this psalm together this morning, our big idea is very simple. If you feel abandoned by God, do not abandon your trust in Him. Psalm 22 is 31 verses long. So um, we're going to take it a section at a time, but what we're going to do is we're going to read verse 1 and pray together, and then we'll dive in. Verse 1 of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, as we come before you this morning, Lord, I just want to ask that you show us your glory in a unique way. Lord, I know that there are many people in here who are hurting because we're human and we live in a broken and sinful world. But you are our God who hears. We can cry out to you. Lord, I pray that you'll press the good news of Jesus upon us this morning. Lord, help us to see you. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. So as we look at Psalm 22, we're going to see three things. We're going to see David's reality, David's rescue, and God's reign. In the first 20 verses... We're going to see how David's circumstances reveal lies we're tempted to believe. So let's look at verses 1 through 5, David's reality. Beginning in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel... In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. David feels abandoned. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David's in real pain. The psalm doesn't tell us why. It doesn't give us any hint of his circumstances or what's happening to him. It doesn't say there's a sin that David's committed that has caused him to suffer this way. But what we see is that he's suffering and he feels like God has abandoned him. And when we feel abandoned, there's a lie we're tempted to believe. When we feel like God is there, it's very easy to just believe that he isn't. When we feel like God is distant, we can just think, well, he's not there. So what should we do if we feel like God's not there? We shouldn't keep going to him. That's the lie we convinced ourselves of. So David cries out in real, deep, confused pain. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you doing this? I'm crying to you day and night, and I find no rest. What he's saying is I'm constantly crying out to you, but I'm finding no rest. There's no rescue for him. There's no rescue for him. But I want you to see from the very beginning of our time together this morning, he's crying out in real, deep, confused pain, Because when we experience the feeling of being abandoned by God, or if we experience that feeling, and we have these real painful moments in our lives, we need to treat them as if they're real. The real painful, confusing parts of our lives where God's presence and provision feel distant, these feelings and these moments are not pretend. Now, is God distant? No. But do we feel that? Yes, and we feel the pain of human suffering. So what should we do? We should take those feelings to the Lord. When humans live in a sinful world that is not yet redeemed, human suffering is a reality. And it's a valid reason to cry out to the Lord. The pain you're feeling, whether it's emotional 
or physical or spiritual, it is a valid reason to cry out to God. But what if we feel like God is listening? God, God isn't listening. What if we feel like he's distant? What if we feel like he's not there? And David cries out, why are you so far from saving me? Why have you removed yourself from me? Where are you? Does this sound familiar? There have been times in my life where I have felt like God is distant. God, why have you let this happen to me? And maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, Man, I, I, I understand this song. I get it. I feel like God is distant. You cry out, God, are you even there? And David cries out, where are you? But no answer comes. He feels abandoned. But David does something that is so surprising. Look at verse 3 with me. He says, yet you are holy. So David turns from his situation and he gazes upon the Lord. Here's what he does. He says, I feel like you're not there. I, why, where are you? Why are you not answering me? Why are you not coming through for me? He says, but you're holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. David has a feeling based on his reality, but he turns from what he feels and experiences to the truth. And what's the truth? God is holy. And he's enthroned on the praises of Israel. If we feel like God is distant, we must filter those, that feeling through the truth of who God is. So we don't ignore those feelings. What we do is we filter them through the truth of the God who is holy and enthroned on the praises of Israel. David turns from his troubles to the throne. How do we fight against grief? How do we fight against this feeling? We turn our eyes to the Lord. We turn our eyes to the Lord. David calls God holy and enthroned. The images of God, he's sitting in the throne room um, and he's enthroned on the praises of his people. What's happening is he's being lifted up by the praises of his people. The praises of God are so loud, they're lifting God up in this image. Why? Because he is holy. He is so unlike us, so perfectly unlike us in all of his glory that he's worthy of all of our praise. And so when God doesn't answer David's request on David's timeline, it doesn't make him less God. I have two little kids. When I don't give them exactly what they want, exactly when they ask for it, it doesn't make me any less dad. David is very honest about where his heart is, but even in his pain, he turns his heart from his pain to the Lord. This is something you're going to hear a lot this morning. When we have questions and doubts and fears when we take them to the Lord do you know what that's called it's called trust it's called trust David keeps going to the Lord when it seems distant and then in verse verses four and five David remembers what God did for his forefathers he said hey my great-grandfather my great-great-great-great-grandfather all the people of Israel in the past you came through for them you came through for them and said hey you came through for them but then David, he looks back at his circumstances and he says, you came through for them, but I am a worm. Look at verse 6. David feels ashamed. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. It's like, hey, you came through for them, but it's feeling like you're not going to come through for me. He's tempted to believe this lie. God, you've provided all the way up until this point, but you're not going to provide for me in the future. Because I'm suffering now, I feel like you're not going to come through for me anymore. It's a lie. 
It's a lie. Why does David feel this way? He feels subhuman. His suffering makes him feel less than a human. He moves from looking at God on his throne to back to his present circumstances. Look with me, verses 6 through 11. He says, I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. He says, I'm a worm and not a man. And he says, hey, you came through for them, but you're not going to come through for me. Which is a lie, by the way. If you read through David's story in the Old Testament, David is constantly rescued. God constantly comes through and provides for him. But David, he said, I feel like a worm. I am subhuman. This psalm reads kind of like a map at a zoo. There's a lot of animal imagery. Why is that the case? Because David feels less than human, and his enemies feel superhuman. So we're going to see in a second. They're animals. They're beasts. They're strong. David says, I don't have the dignity of a human being, and my enemies, they're stronger and bigger than me, right? They're lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, right? That's what he's saying. He says, but I'm a worm. Worms lose to bears every time, right? In a fight? Okay, thank you. Um, He said, I'm gonna lose, and he feels mocked and insulted. How are they mocking him? They're saying, he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord deliver him. They're saying, how? Yeah, if God really cares about him, he's going to deliver him. Which again, it's a lie. That's not necessarily true. We all suffer in this life. And there are things that we experience and we say, if God cares about this, this wouldn't happen. That's not true. But God does rescue. We're going to see in a second. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, They're mockingly pleading to the Lord on his behalf. They're saying, "If if the Lord delights in him, he'll rescue him. If God likes David, if he cares about David, he's going to rescue him. But again, David stubbornly turns from his situation to the Lord. He says, yet you are he who took me from the womb. So he says, even though you feel distant, even though everybody's mocking me, even though they're saying, hey, you know why you're suffering? Because God doesn't delight in you. He doesn't care about you. But what does he do? He remembers. He says, from my birth until now, God's provided for me. You've provided for me. And so there's a lie that we're tempted to believe. It's that even though God has provided, he's going to stop. When we suffer, it's very easy to forget everything the Lord has done for us in the past. We must be careful to not fall into the trap of believing easy lies when believing the truth is hard. We have to fight for the truth. We have to Fight the lie that God won't provide. How do we do that? We cultivate a heart of gratitude through remembrance. We remember the times that God has come through for us in the past. It happens at our house probably once a month, right? My wife or I, one of us will get a little anxious about something and, you know, start to spiral. That's how it goes. Like you look at the bank account like, ooh, we can't eat out this week. We're going to live in a cardboard box. By the time the thought's over, that's kind of how it works for us. Uh, So we start to spiral. And one of us will just say, hey, like I, I hear what you're saying, but... Look at how God has provided here and here and here and here and here. Why do we think God's not going to provide for us in the future? Through the pastoral residency that I do, we have to raise a lot of money. 
um, which sounded very daunting at the beginning, but it's been a gift to see God just come through and provide for us time in, time and time again, over and over and over again. So David, he remembers, you've provided for me. From my birth until now, you have cared for me. But this section ends with David crying out again. He says, be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there's none to help. So he's come to the conclusion, you're the only one who can help me. You're the only one. So he cries out again. We see that David is afraid. Verses 12 through 20, if you'll look at the passage with me. It says, many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword." my precious life from the power of the dog. David's crying out because he's been surrounded by his enemies. He says they're like strong bulls of Bashan. Bashan was a land that had healthy crops which produced healthy cattle. Back in Mississippi, people used to say of me that I grew up around a lot of concrete, which none of you laughed because you don't realize that's an insult. They're saying, that's a city boy, you grew up around a lot of concrete, right? You think your, your beef comes from the grocery store and the little refrigerated thing? Yes and amen, that's how it works. But they're, they're saying you're a city boy. And so um, good crops produce good cattle, right? You go to the store and you see Angus on the pack of beef. You may not know exactly what that means, but you know that's a big cow, right? That's what you know. And so what he's saying is these are the biggest, strongest Enemies. They're like ravening and roaring lions, lions that are hungry, ready to eat, and they're loud. He says they're like dogs that encompass him. In his pain, his enemies have come closer and closer and closer and closer to him, and he feels like he is helpless. He feels abandoned. What do these enemies do? The pain of fear caused by David's enemies drain him of his strength. He says he's poured out like water. He says his heart melts like wax. He says all of his bones are out of joint. Everything in his body is dislocated. He's in pain. Why? Because of the fear of his enemies. They're getting closer and closer and closer and closer. He's thirsty. He's slowly dying. It says his, 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 um, his strength is dried up like a potsherd, like a hot piece of pottery, which is really dry. He's slowly, slowly dying. He feels like the end is near. David's enemies are the biggest, they're the strongest, they're the meanest, and he's helpless and hopeless. What should he do? He cries back out to the Lord, be not far from me, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. Whenever we're in a terrible, difficult circumstance, what should we do? You should cry out to the Lord. As I look around this room this morning, um, you may be thinking, you don't know me. You don't know my circumstances. And you would be right. I don't know you. I don't know how you've suffered. I don't know the moments when you felt abandoned by God. But I know what it's like to live in a sinful and broken world. 
I know what it's like to experience the loss of a loved one. I know what it's like when things don't go the way I want them to go. I know what it's like to wake up feeling so anxious and depressed that I'm not sure I can get out of bed. I know what that's like. But I also know the God that wants us to cry out to him when we feel that way. And he's also the God who can do something about our circumstances. David gives it one more cry. He says, save me from the sword. Save me from the dog. Save me from the lion. Save me. Whenever our circumstances are overwhelming, there's only one thing we can do. We cry out to the Lord for help, and we cry out to him because he can do something. Then in verse 21, we see David's rescue. From verse 21 to the end of the psalm, everything is different. Now, we're going to read it, but there's a lot of debate about what happens to David. It says, you have saved me, um, you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Okay, so there's some Bible scholars debate. Is David rescued in this moment, or is David looking back back at past rescue, or is David just hoping in future rescue? What rescue is coming? Um, It I think whichever one you pick, the truth is David realizes that his rescue is his new reality. Everything is different. So we're going to look at it knowing David is rescued. Now whether he's hopeful for the future because of the past or he feels present rescue in the moment, um, we can talk about it afterwards. Okay, so let's look at it. Verse 21 says, Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Everything after verse 21 is different. The tone is different. Even the direction of the psalm is different. He goes from talking about himself a lot to talking about God and talking about praising God in the midst of God's people. One psalmist, I mean, one Bible scholar called this psalm the gospel according to David. David cries out for rescue, God rescues, and David praises. And this psalm is no different than all the other times David has been rescued. Something happens to David and he's rescued. And how does he respond to God's rescue? He responds to rescue with praise. Think about this, 20 verses earlier, okay, 20 verses earlier, he is saying, God, where are you? And now he's saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to praise you with your people. I'm going to be with your people. I'm going to respond to your rescue with praise. He's going to speak the Lord's name to his brothers in their congregation, in the group of God's people. He is going to praise. Why is this so important? Earlier, his enemies, they're loud and they're big and they're drowning out the praises of God's people. They're drowning out what God is doing. All David can hear and see is his enemies. But then when we respond to rescue, we get with God's people and we praise God and we hear those voices drown out the voices of fear and anxiety that sin and death in this world causes us. David starts off the psalm with a doubt. Maybe even more than a doubt, he's directly accusing God. Where are you? Where are you? But I want you to see the questions that we ask of God are safe in relationship with God. We're in real danger when we take those questions and we think we're going to figure them out over here and leave God 
over here until we know exactly what we think about our, our doubts and our worries and our fears. That's a real danger. Why? Because we're saying, God, you can't help me here. I'm going to figure this out on my own. I'm better at this than you are. So what do we do? We take our feelings and our questions to God. Have you ever heard the phrase, trusting someone with your feelings? Y'all didn't know we were doing Mr. Rogers this morning. Um, Trusting someone with your feelings, it's, the, it's a phrase that means the people you share your deepest feelings with are the people you trust most deeply. And so what David's doing and what we do is we take our concerns to the Lord. Do you know what it's called when you take doubt and fear to the Lord? It's called trust. It's called trust. David experiences real loss in his life. In this passage, he's experiencing real pain. But he takes that pain to the Lord. When our doubts and our questions get so loud in our heads, it's really easy for us to think, I'm going to handle it on my own. Brothers and sisters, take them to the Lord. David was not abandoned. How do we know? So however you want to interpret verse 21, we know David was rescued because of verse 24. It says, he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him. He said, hey, I was afflicted, but you came to me. You, didn't, you came near to me. You didn't hide from me. The joy of rescue redeems the pain of David's circumstances. David was not abandoned, and David's rescue redeems his pain. Because rescue, even the promise of rescue, changes our reality. It changes how we see our present moment. So there I was. Side of the road, Mississippi. Busted up tire, if you remember, about to explode. Dead cell phone. I don't know what to do. I thought about hitchhiking. That felt a little risky. And so I just kind of sat in my car and just waited. Um, and then all of a sudden, a big white truck with green flashing lights on top pulled up behind me. And a guy stepped out of the car. He's probably about 6'5", 300 pounds. And he had a bulletproof vest on which is not a good sign, by the way. And so he gets out of the car, he puts his hands up, and he says, Sir, I'm not here to hurt you, I'm here to help you. I thought, good, because I didn't want to have to beat him up, embarrass him a little bit. But he walks up to me, and he looks at my car, and he says, Hey, I'm a repo guy. I repossess cars for a living. I have a tow on my truck. I would love to tow you to a truck stop for free so you can get your tire fixed. And I said, great, like, sure, like, this is amazing. It's one of the craziest things that's ever happened to me. But if you stop the story halfway, it just ends with a sad 22-year-old on the side of the road. What happened is the rescue changed how I viewed my circumstances. The rescue totally changes David's story. I mean, my story moved from a terrible night to this crazy story about how I was saved by you know, a repo man who was a giant, and he helped me on the side of the road. But David, the ransom king, I mean the rescue king, trusted God for who he is and praised God for what he has done. And we're in need of rescue because we trust God for who he is and we praise God for what he's done because God reigns. God reigns. And rescue is coming. Why? Because God is reigning. Let's read the rest of the psalm. Let's read the rest of the psalm. It says, from you, verse 25, comes my praise in the great congregation, my vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. 
All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who cannot keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. David starts to look forward to being with God's people. He's going to celebrate. The Old Testament had a provision for when you made a promise to God, kind of the, what was tied to that promise is when God comes through on a vow, you're going to celebrate with God's people. So David said, I'm going to celebrate with God's people. I'm going to praise him. So again, we're meant to celebrate what God does in our lives with one another. But this celebration, it's not just going to be contained in Israel. It's not just going to be contained among God's people. It's going to spill out to the ends of the earth. It's going to continue. It's going to overflow. It's like, hey, this is too good. What's happening to me is too good to stay with me. It has to go out to the ends of the earth. Why? It says, kingship belongs to the Lord. Kingship over all the nations. He's king over all the other kings, which means he's the greatest king. He is sovereign. He's in charge. And what does that mean? All must bow down and worship him. What does this kingship bring? It brings his reign. And here's who gets to enter into his kingdom. Those who submit to him. It says the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise him. Those who are afflicted and hungry and tired and beat up in this world, they're going to eat and be satisfied in his kingdom. It also says in verse 29, all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Both those who are in good times and those who are in bad times, when they come before this king, they're going to thrive under his kingdom. Why? Because God's rule and reigns brings good for everyone who trusts him. Everyone. Earlier in this passage, David was afflicted. He was, it says they could count all of his bones. He had gotten so hungry and skinny, but it says, yet I'm going to eat and be satisfied in your presence. The feast of God turns hearts to praise. The afflicted worship, the prosperous worship, even those who are dying, they worship because there's a God who can save from death. And then it ends, and it's a beautiful picture of generation after generation after generation being told of the goodness of this king who's reigning over all things. And what's amazing is this has happened. How do we know? Because we're here today celebrating that king. It has happened. It has gotten passed down to generation to generation. Why? Because he has done it. So thinking about this psalm, it made me think to a few months back, I had texted a friend um, a new song that I discovered. Now, I have kind of an offbeat taste in music. I love really, really old folk music, and I love new music that sounds like old folk music. So I found a, uh, an artist. I thought, man, this guy, this is it. Like, I discovered somebody. So I'm texting all my friends, all my music friends. I'm texting them, you got to check this out. This is great. I'm saying crazy things um, for, for me. And anyway, I'm like, this guy could be the next Bob Dylan. This is wild. I'm texting one of my friends who's a big music guy. I said, yeah, that, that's a pretty, that's a, that's, a, that's a fun song. It's like, fun? No. It's awesome. I'm like, dude, no, you're wrong. He's like, no, it's pretty fun. Do you, do you not know what that comes from? I was like, uh, yeah, he wrote that song. He says, no, he didn't write that song, dude. 
Well, who wrote that song? Apparently, the lyrics, it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me, belong to some body named Taylor Swift. And apparently, this Taylor Swift is a big deal, and I just didn't know, right? So I'm saying, man, this song sounds so familiar to me, because, you know, I thought maybe it sounded familiar because it was just really good, but it sounded familiar because I'd heard it before, because it wasn't this guy's song. Maybe you've been sitting there thinking this, this whole time, hey, you're missing it. This isn't David's song. This is Jesus' song. On the cross, Jesus cries out, verse 1 of Psalm 22. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God used David, the rescued king, to point to Jesus, the ransomed king. The king of kings has done it, but how did he do it? How did he do it? This comes to our application point. In the midst of our most difficult moments, we can trust God because Jesus, in his most difficult moment, trusted God for us. Psalm 22 is pointing to the coming king of kings, but the reigning king of kings suffered the affliction of the afflicted for his people. Jesus fulfills this psalm on the cross. Let's look back through it, if you will. In verses 17 and 18, it says, um, we see on the cross the soldiers casting lots for Jesus' clothes as he hung naked on a Roman cross. In verse 16, they pierced his hands and his feet when they nailed him to the cross. Verses 7 and 8, it's the exact thing the crowd yells at Jesus. He trusts in God, let God deliver him. Verse 6, we see David says he's a worm, but Jesus humbled himself all the way from heaven to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 1, Jesus was crucified in our place. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But on the cross, Jesus doesn't say the second part of verse 1. He doesn't say it. The verse 1 says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Jesus doesn't say it because Jesus knew he wasn't being saved from the cross so that we could be saved by the cross. He wasn't delivered from the cross so that we could be delivered by the cross. He wasn't rescued from the cross so that we could be rescued by the cross. He suffered real, immense, physical, emotional, and spiritual pain in our place so that we could enter into his kingdom and submit to his reign forever and experience the forever rescue of Jesus. He has done it, and he's worthy of all of our praise, all of it. So maybe you're here this morning, and you've never trusted and submitted to this king. And maybe you haven't trusted and submitted because you've experienced hard things. You say, hey, I've suffered too much to trust in a God that you say is that good. I just want to invite you. Jesus suffered for us. He knows what it's like to live in this broken, sinful world. And he has rescued us from sin and death. And one day he's going to make everything right. And all of those who belong to his kingdom are going to experience it. And Christian, maybe you're here today and you feel like God has abandoned you. In this room, there has to be a lot of suffering. A lot of pain. Because we live in a sinful and broken world. But I just want to remind you, Jesus didn't leave us in our pain. He made a way for us to be right with him. And to trust in him. And our biggest problem sin and death 
He made a way for us to be right with God and eternally alive with him. So he trusted God for us so you can trust him in the midst of your pain. If you feel abandoned by God, wherever you are in relationship to him, you can trust him. Why? Because he did it. He suffered for us and we can trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for the truth that you have rescued us. You've made a way for us to be right with you forever through the cross. Lord, I know there's so much suffering in this world. and We experience so much pain. And at times we can feel abandoned by you, Lord. Remind us and, and help us feel the nearness of you. Lord, those here who are putting off trusting in you because of suffering, I pray that you'll just show them your glory in a new way that points them to the truth that you suffer for them and that you can be trusted. Lord, we don't deserve what you've done for us, but you freely and fully gave your life for us. So Lord, I pray this morning that you will remind that truth to us and bind it on our hearts and press it down upon us that we can know you deeper and trust you more. Lord, we love you. Lord, you're so good. You've done it. We pray all these things in your name.